We're going to be in the book of Revelation again this morning. Revelation chapter 11. We read the first few verses of it last week. And we are going to finish it off this week, Lord willing. We're just going to read the last four verses. There's four short verses. Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. We had seen up to this point six trumpets sound. We saw uh, we, we took kind of a break in the action. We saw some more uh, devastation that was being poured out onto this uh, world. We see God's wrath continue to be poured out. We see uh, the enemy. We see Satan. We see all the destruction that he is causing on this earth. And so uh, we saw about wars and all these crazy things that happened in the last few verses in between the sixth trumpet and the seventh trumpet. And as we saw uh, earlier on, as the seven seals were broken, we saw six, we saw a similar pause, and then it was as if the seventh seal ushered in the seven trumpets. Then we see six, we see a little pause, a change of, of the action, and then we have a seventh uh, trumpet that is going to usher in these seven bowls of God's judgment. Uh, each time we see the judgment and the wrath and the destruction uh, getting a little bit more difficult. We see it becoming a little more extreme as we draw close to the end of time, as we draw close to when all things will be settled and Jesus Christ will return <laughs> victorious. And so here today we have an encouraging verse for those who are in Christ. We have a little bit of an encouragement in the midst of, of kind of the tough stuff that we've looked at over the last couple of weeks and the tough stuff that we're about to jump back into in the next few weeks and the next couple of chapters of, of the book of Revelation. We kind of have a pause here. We see that uh, throughout the book. We see some really heavy stuff that's hard for us to take in, some scary stuff. But then God always uh, kind of recalls the promise to us. He recalls to us that we who are in Christ are victorious. We are reminded that even in the midst of all of these difficulties that we see take place in the book of Revelation, where it would appear as though the enemy is winning, we are constantly reminded that this book is a book about Jesus Christ and the victory that he will bring that he has not been overtaken by the devil, that he is still in complete control of everything that takes place. There is nothing that the devil does that he is not allowed to do by the Lord. God is in complete control of everything that takes place, and we are reminded of that in this text today. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. The twenty-four elders, elders who were seated before God on their throne fell face down and worshipped God, saying, We thank you, Lord God, the Almighty who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name, both small and great. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. God's sanctuary in heaven was open and the ark of his covenant appeared in his sanctuary. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings of thunder, an earthquake, and severe hail. 
Let's pray. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that you would help us to meet with you in your word, God, that your Holy Spirit would just be among us, that your word would open our ears, that we would hear. God, that we would know what your word says, that we would be able to trust in you, to know that whatever we may be suffering through in our life, dear Lord, whatever it is that we're going through, that we know, God, that if we put our faith and trust in you, that you are going to be there to deliver us ultimately. So God, let us seek you today. Let there, If there's one in this room that does not know you, God, I pray that they would come to you today. God, I pray that it would be uh, you that speaks to the people, not me, God. Just uh, help me in my weakness, dear Lord, to be the human vessel that you want me to be so that I can be obedient and be obedient to teach and preach these people and lead them in the way that your Holy Spirit leads. And I pray that you would do the work, God, that you would hide me behind the cross, God, that you would receive the glory and that we would be uplifted by being in your house today. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15 that we just read. It says, The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. And so uh, these verses, it sounds as though these things have already taken place, as though uh, the end has come, as though Jesus has begun to reign, but then we still have half of the book of Revelation left. So is Jesus reigning at this point? What, is this, what does this mean? Is this in the wrong place? Well, I don't really know. Perhaps this is a part of what's left to be happening in the book of Revelation. It was all revealed to John, and he wrote this first. Perhaps this uh, scene that has taken place of these in heaven who are worshiping Jesus, perhaps they realize upon the seventh trumpet being blown that this is going to usher in what is going to take place. It's going to finish everything up, and they are looking forward to the future. And they say, praise the Lord, the seventh trumpet has blown, the final trump has blown, and it's not going to be long now. And they are looking forward to the day that is coming because they realize that Jesus Christ is in control and that the plan is unfolding. I believe that that's likely what takes place, but that's just my uh, opinion on the text, is that they are looking forward to what is going to take place when all of these things that we see after the seventh trumpet are finished we are going to see a victorious Jesus Christ. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah. If it's going to become the kingdom of our Lord, it begs the question, whose kingdom is this world now? If it is going to be Jesus Christ in the time coming, then who is the ruler over this world as we know it today? Well, the Bible will tell us that the ruler over this kingdom and this world that we see today is none other than Satan himself. We see that in the text in John chapter 12, verse 31. Now is the judgment of this world, now the ruler of this world will be cast out. We see another reference in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 and 2. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler who exercises authority over the lower heavens. These verses that we talk about uh, in the New Testament, there are more, but it talks about that Satan is the ruler of this world. God allows Satan to have some power. Now, don't ask me why. I don't have a clue why. But, but God, for whatever reason, he has allowed Satan to have his way on this world. 
Now, if we open our eyes and we look at what's going on in this world, we have seen what Satan has done when he has his way. He desires for nothing more than destruction. He does not care about you. He does not care about me. He does not care about the good of anybody or anything. He wants everybody to die. He wants everybody to be a liar, a thief. He wants there to be war. He wants everything completely destroyed because everything that God made and everything that God does is good. And the devil doesn't want anything to do with good. He doesn't want to have anything to do with God. He wants to destroy everything that God is. He wants to take love out of everything. He wants there to be hatred, and he wants there to be complete destruction. That's what the devil wants. And we look around the world today, and we see that he's doing a pretty good job of getting what he wants. You see wars. You see people who are being killed left and right. You see all kind of just these crazy situations, terrorism, all these diseases. Everything that you can imagine is taking place, and this world is going downhill fast. And some of you are saying, well, I don't think this world's such a bad place. Open your eyes. Read God's Word. That's the problem. The devil has blinded the world. The devil has caused this world to live in darkness that, that, that we don't see, that the world doesn't see. We as Christians, those of you who are in Christ, you see, you should see what, what has taken place. But we live in a world that is living in darkness. They have been deceived by the ruler of this world. But the Bible says that we who are in Christ are different that we have been forgiven of our trespasses and our sins. And we live in this world, but we are not of this world. See, those who are in this world apart from Christ, they are living under the rule of Satan, and they are his. But those of us who are in Christ, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And Christ has left us here. Christ has placed us here. Christ has placed you in Liberty, Mississippi or whatever city you might live in in this area to do his work. It's not just by accident that God puts you where he puts you. Sometimes he puts you where you don't want to be. I never in a million years thought I'd be back in Liberty, Mississippi. When I left Mississippi, I was never once going to come back. And lo and behold, here I am in Liberty, Mississippi. And if I did come back to Liberty, Mississippi, people said, are you ever going to preach at Enterprise? I said, there is no way in this world that I'll ever preach at Enterprise. But guess what? God had a different plan. Sometimes God places us places that maybe we don't want to be, but God knows exactly where we need to be, and we as Christians are his light, and he puts us in this world of darkness to do his work. And we got to be ready. we got to be prepared. we got to be we got to know God's Word. we got to know that we have an enemy out there, and he is, he is looking for those to destroy. And the devil is so good at deceiving people. He is so good. He makes everything sound so good. I don't know if any of you have ever read the book by C.S. Lewis, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, or perhaps you watched the movie. Michelle and I watched it last night. It's a good book. He's a good Christian writer. He writes some excellent books. Those are kids' books, but he writes all kind of good books. Anyway, neither here nor there. Check him out if you can. But he wrote a book called The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and it's a, a fairy tale story, but within that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He uses a creative way to help explain the gospel of Jesus Christ and show the love that Jesus had. The main character is a lion. His name is Aslan and one of the, the kids in the movie sins and the wicked witch who represents the devil wants to kill the kid because she said the law states that the kid must be killed and Aslan gave his life so that the kid wouldn't have to be killed. It's a beautiful depiction of what Jesus Christ did for us. But this character, the wicked 
wicked witch in the movie, the white witch she's called, what she does is she's very deceptive because she sees one of these kids and she offers, come here, you look like you're cold, and she offers him a coat and she's smiling to him and she's very friendly to him and I bet you're hungry, let me make you some food. Bam, in an instant she, she makes him some Turkish delight and he's just eating it and he says, wow, this is great. And, and, the, and the white witch says, you know, I have a castle uh, between these two mountains and, and this castle is full of Turkish delight. All I need you to do is just convince your brothers and sisters to come on over to my castle and just come be with me, be on my side. He said, I got this, nothing to it. So. So he'd begin to be swayed by this wonderful charm that the white, the beautiful white witch had put on him. Well, then he comes back to Narnia, he makes his way back, and he makes his way to her castle, and he realizes that something's different. He's sitting in the, the grand throne of the ruler of Narnia, at least she thinks she's the ruler of this fairy tale place called Narnia. And she says, did you bring your sisters? Well, he hadn't. Well, then we see a whole separate side. Then she imprisoned him. Then he says, well, where's the Turkish delight? There is no Turkish delight. There is no good. She goes from a loving, caring person to one who has cast him out, doesn't want anything to do with him. And it's a, a pretty accurate depiction, I believe, of what the devil does. The devil appears to be an angel of light. He appears to be one who loves us. Now, the devil does this in your life, and you may not even realize it. At least he tries to. He's the one that convinces you when you're living in sinfulness. He's the one that comes up to you and puts his arm around you and says, you know what? It's okay to do that. You deserve that. You know, everybody says that this is bad, but look, what you're doing is not that bad. Look at some of the other people in the world. What you're doing is okay. You're a good person. You do good things. And the devil begins to deceive us and make us think a little too highly of ourselves and not highly enough of the Lord. And the devil begins to say, look, just do what you want to do. Everything's okay. You can live for yourself. Who is anybody else to judge you? You do what makes you happy. You live for yourself. As long as you're taking care of yourself, everything's okay. You can have anything you want. Just go ahead and treat yourself to nice things. And that's what the devil does. But what he doesn't tell you is that it's going to lead to your destruction. The devil is very deceiving. He makes everything look so good, but everything that the devil does is to lead to your destruction. The devil has no interest in your soul. He wants your soul to rot in hell with his. He wants everything you had to be destroyed. He wants you to be bitter and angry and hateful and cause trouble with everybody you see. Got to watch out, even us Christians, because he don't just hit us with that all at once. It's a gradual thing. He kind of eases us into it. And so we always have to be on our guard against the ruler of this world. He is the devil, and he is walking around like a roaring lion looking for one to devour. And he thinks that he is doing good. I believe he really thinks that. Now look, we get the end of the book. We know he loses. I'm going to go ahead and tell you if you hadn't read that far. But I, I still believe, I still believe that the devil believes he can win. I believe he still thinks he's the ruler of this world. But what we are reassured of as Christians in this verse, that all of the bad things we have seen taking place, all of the, the, the ways that the devil have done, that God has allowed him to do, where it seems so bad, we see that there is one coming, Jesus Christ, who is going to make this kingdom his. When he comes, all is going to be made well. Everything is going to be taken care of. Everything is going to be finished. And different, Jesus is exactly the opposite 
of the devil. Where the devil only desires to destroy you and everything good in your life, Jesus desires to restore you. Where the devil only wants hatred in your life, Jesus only wants love in your life. Jesus only wants you to love him and he wants you to love other people. They are exact opposite. They are daylight and dark. And we have seen what the devil has done with his rule on this world and what Jesus is going to do when he comes back when his kingdom comes, it's going to be the exact opposite. There's not going to be war. There's not going to be bloodshed. There's not going to be tears. There's not going to be cancer. There's not going to be any of these things. It's going to be a beautiful place. And we begin to see this in this, uh, in this uh, chapter of Revelation. His reign's not going to be just a short reign. It's going to be forever and ever. Verse 16, the 24 elders who were seated before God on their thrones fell face down and worshiped God, saying, We thank you, Lord God, the Almighty, who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, but your wrath has come. The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and to those who fear your name. So what we see here, what we've seen throughout the book of Revelation, is that in heaven there is a constant gathering around the throne. There is a constant praise of the Lord because of His mightiness, because of His love, because of His grace, because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf to give His life for us. That never changes. We see that constantly throughout the book of Revelation we see that heaven is going to be a glorious place. But what we also see in this verse is that the nations are angry. We have seen that up to this point in the book of Revelation. We will see it further on as we read in the book of Revelation. That those who are apart from Christ are against Christ. They don't want anything to do with God's word. We see time and time again where God offers opportunity for repentance and the people refuse to accept that repentance. Now, one thing that we see in the book of Revelation that is uh, something that we see both in the believer of Jesus Christ, the Christian, and those who don't believe in Jesus Christ, we see one thing that I believe that both groups have in common, and that is suffering. We see suffering from both groups. We see early on as we read the book, we see that there is suffering among God's people. We as God's people are not immune to suffering in this life. We see that every day. Uh, we, are, uh, we are prone to sicknesses. We are prone to disease. We are prone to, uh, we see on the TV, missionaries who are giving their life, who are being in prison. We'll hear about a pastor who's in prison, or a group that's being held, or a group that's being killed. We see much suffering for the name of Jesus Christ. This is nothing new. If you go back and you look at the early church in the book of Acts, you see suffering for the Lord all throughout the text. Jesus told us that we as Christians were going to have to suffer, that we were going to face difficult times. There is going to be suffering in the life of the Christian. We also see those who don't believe suffering. They are suffering the wrath of God. They are suffering the wrath of God because they refuse to accept and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is his son. They refuse to accept that they are sinners in need of forgiveness. They refuse to repent. They would rather die in their sinfulness than acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And as a result, we see a tremendous amount of suffering for those who are opposed to Jesus Christ. 
We, as Christians in this world today, there's some of you in this room that are suffering. But the difference is, is, is what comes on the other side of suffering? Everybody suffers, both the Christian and the non-Christian. There is suffering of some sort that we experience in this life. But the question is, what comes on the other side of that suffering? Well, it depends on what you're suffering for, on who you're suffering for. If you're suffering for Jesus Christ, there is something beautiful on the other side of that. If you're suffering for Jesus Christ, we see those who are martyred early on in the book of Revelation, those who have given their life for Jesus Christ, we see something beautiful. They are given a white robe, that they are going to be in heaven with the Lord, that they are going to be in a wonderful place. And their suffering, while it is difficult on this earth, there is going to be great reward for them in the life to come. Those who are suffering because they reject Jesus Christ, because they refuse to repent of their sinfulness, we see that their suffering is only going to lead to the second death, the Bible calls it. It's not going to get any better. Not only are they suffering now, but they are going to continue to suffer for all of eternity. While those who are in Jesus Christ, as he reigns forever and ever, as the text said, those who are in Christ will receive a reward and will reign with him forever and ever. And those who are apart from Christ will receive their reward, if you will call it that, and they will suffer for all eternity. So it's up to you to decide what's on the other side of suffering. For those who have faith in the Lord, on the other side of suffering is blessings you can't imagine. And we suffer. Even as Christians, we suffer. Even on a, on, a, on, on, on a note that hits closer to home. When we find out that we are sick, we have cancer. Someone we love has cancer. Our home is destroyed. There is something horrendous that may happen in our community. There are broken marriages. There are all these things in the world that just get us down. And we suffer because we struggle. We feel like we're weak. We can't take it. There's so much on us we can't take anymore. But even in those sufferings, God uses that. The Bible says we're supposed to rejoice even in the bad times. That's tough to do. It's tough to rejoice when you're suffering. But even through that, it draws us as Christians, it should draw us closer to the Lord. It should cause us to examine our life. It should cause us to recognize our weaknesses even that much more and put more faith and more trust in the power of the Lord. Because on our, on our own we are weak, but in the Lord, even in our suffering, we have hope. Because those of us who are in Christ, we know that our suffering is not going to, to end in agony and defeat. We know that our suffering is going to end in victory. Because Jesus Christ rose from the grave. Read the book of Job. The book of Job is an excellent example of a godly, faithful man who suffered. God allowed the devil, again, don't ask me why, God allowed the devil to do some things to Job. The devil said, look, he is a faithful follower of yours. I bet you if, if things got kind of rough, he wouldn't follow you anymore. Go back and read it. I'm paraphrasing. But you can read the book of Job. It's a good story. And God said, all right, I'll let you do what you want to do with him. And the devil began to do all these things with Job. He couldn't take his life, but he put all these illnesses on Job. He took his family. He took all of his belongings, everything he had. Job's friends were even beginning to question him. They weren't being very good friends. <clears throat> 
And finally, Job, he kind of got a little proud. He thought, you know, you know what? I've been doing good. God, why are you doing this to me? And God humbled him. God come to him and kind of put him in his place. And Job realized that he had become a little proud, and he humbled himself before the Lord. And at that point, he was restored. His relationship with God was restored. Even a man that the Bible said walked in integrity and was a good man, the devil tried his best through suffering to get him apart from God, but all his sufferings did was draw him closer to God. And you know what was on the other side of Job's suffering? He got twice as much as he had before. Everything that the devil took from him, all the suffering that the devil put on him, God restored, and he had more than you could ever imagine. He was blessed. And so it is for us. The devil may be putting different things in your life that's causing you to suffer. But Christian, listen, there is victory, there is reward on the other side of this sacrifice. Or excuse me, on the other side of this suffering. Because of the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on the cross. That's why we have to run the race with endurance. That's why at the beginning of the book of Revelation, Jesus tells the seven churches to stand strong. Don't give up. Keep the faith. Keep doing good. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't get discouraged. There's going to be hard times. Finish, finish the fight. Finish the race. Because on the other side of all the sufferings that the devil places in our path, there's going to be victory. Through Jesus Christ. But for those who are apart from Jesus Christ, you may be suffering in this world. There's no doubt that you are. You're suffering the same hard times. But for those of you who haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I'm going to be real with you. What you have to look forward to is more suffering. There is no light at the end of the tunnel. Jesus Christ is the light. If you reject Jesus Christ, there is only a tunnel that leads to destruction. There is only suffering forever and ever. That is a reality. Perhaps some of you have chosen to deny that and block that out and you have believed the deception of the devil that all is good and you can live your life and you're better than the other people out there. Maybe you're not perfect, but you're not that bad, so keep living and don't worry about Jesus. Everything is going to be good. That is a lie. And the devil has convinced a lot of people of that lie. And if you believe that lie, then there is no hope for you in suffering. On the other side of the suffering of this life, there is only more suffering. The grass is not going to be greener on the other side. Only for those who are in Christ. In verse 18, it says, The time has come for the dead to be judged and to give the reward to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and those who fear your name. When we get to the end of the book of Revelation, I'll jump ahead here for a second. But there will come a day where we will have to stand in judgment before the Lord. We'll have to stand in judgment before the Lord, every one of us. Now it says that those who are apart from Christ will be judged by their works, and their works will not be good enough before God. You can't do good enough to earn God's favor. But those of us who are in Christ, our works will be good enough because our work is the work of Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. He was perfect because we couldn't be. He was perfect for us. He took God's wrath and punishment for us on the cross so that when we accept him, we can be spared of that when the time of judgment comes. So for those of us who are in Christ, we will stand before God in judgment, but we will meet God's requirement because we are in Christ. 
Christ will be uh, there between us and God saying, this one's mine. I've got this one. They're covered by my blood. But for those who are apart from Christ, what a horrible day that judgment will be. Because if you're apart from Christ, there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that you can do that's going to stand up to God. God is going to look at your life. He's going to look at every decision that you have made. And there's going to be no forgiveness there because you have not accepted Jesus Christ. So those dead are going to be judged. But those who are faithful to the Lord are going to receive their reward. Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2, verses 10 and 11, Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will have affliction for ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Anyone who has an ear should listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. The victor will never be harmed by the second death. There's the mention of that second death I talked about a while ago. You see, for those of us who are in Christ, if we die in this life, then that is it. We don't have to worry about anything else. We are victorious. It says we will receive a crown of life. We will be rewarded if we accept Jesus Christ. But those who are apart from Jesus Christ, when they are judged, they will experience the second death. And we'll talk about that in a lot more detail at the end of the book of Revelation. But look, I don't want anybody in here to experience that second death. I want you to experience Jesus Christ. I want you to experience uh, blessings untold on the other side of the suffering in this life, whatever it may be that you face. That's what I want you to experience. That's what the Lord wants you to experience. It refers to your servants, the prophets, to the saints, and those who fear your name, both great and small. And the time has come to destroy those who destroy the earth. You know, the Bible talks a lot about the fear of the Lord. And that might be kind of, kind of tough for us to understand. But, you know, as I was thinking about this this week, I, I, thought, about, I thought about a good parent. I say good parent because there are bad parents out there. But when the Bible talks about the fear of the Lord, that we who are His are to fear Him, I've said on several occasions it is a respectful fear. Much like we as children would have for a good parent. Now look, when, when Melissa and I were growing up, it didn't take too many whippings until... I feared my parents. Now, I, didn't, I wasn't fearful for my life, but there was a certain respect there that when my dad looked at me a certain way, or my mom, that I calmed down because there was a fear there. Now, I never doubted that they loved me. It wasn't a question that they loved me. I wasn't hiding under the bed because I was fearful of what they were going to do to me. But there was a certain level of respect because I saw all those whippings Melissa got. I didn't get that many, but I, I saw the ones she got, and so that put a, a certain fear into me. Okay, that, all right, forgive me, that was a lie. I got more whippings than she did. But, but there, there was a certain fear that came over me when my father would look at me if I was being bad. He'd say, do you need to go to the bathroom? And it wasn't because I needed to go to the bathroom. I knew what was going to happen if we went to the bathroom. 
And so we should be respectful of our Heavenly Father. He's a good parent. Now look, there's some bad parents. Sometimes the parent illustration is tough because sometimes parents are not good parents. Sometimes parents are abusive. Sometimes it's hard for people to make that connection between the Lord as a Heavenly Father. And shamefully, not every father and not every parent in this world has been a good father to their children. And maybe you're from a family like that. But I want you to read about God. Because He is a good Father. He is a Father that is not abusive. He is a Father that loves you. He is a Father that's given everything He had in His Son, Jesus Christ, so that you could be forgiven. God is a good Father. And when God says something, He means it. And sometimes God gets on us. Sometimes God gives us a little whipping, so to speak. And it keeps us in check. And we should respect the Lord. Because He loves us. Because He is good to us. And when God's Word tells us to stray from something, we should listen to it. As a parent, if you've got kids, you get on to your kids when they do things that's going to hurt them. I can't imagine a single good parent who would see their kid playing on a hot stove, near a hot stove, or around anything <coughs> dangerous, that wouldn't say, get away from that. And so it is for God, our Heavenly Father. See, God sees the sinfulness in your life that's going to cause you trouble. It's going to bring heartache and devastation and destruction. God sees that sin in your life, and He gives us His Word and the Holy Spirit to convict <coughs> you to keep you away from that. The devil wants to keep you in that. But God wants to free you from that. God wants to free you from the temptations, from the sufferings, from all the things that you will experience in this life. And He wants to give you something so much better. What God wants is for you to seek Jesus Christ, to put your trust in Him. Even in the midst of your suffering, to continue to seek, to continue to run the race, to continue to have faith in what Jesus Christ did, and continue to know the truth in His Word. And that is that Jesus Christ is coming back. Are you ready for him to come back? Let's pray. God, I pray that if there is one in this room that is not ready for your return, God, that there is one that has not acknowledged you as King of kings and Lord of lords, that you would tug on their heart today. God, I pray that if there are some in this room that are just suffering in life now, God, there are so many things that this world and this devil throws at us. But I pray that if there's anyone in this room suffering today, that your Holy Spirit would just rest upon them. That you would give them rest and that you would give them comfort and that you would give them peace of mind, God. That they would find joy in the fact that Jesus has won. So God, I pray that you would give each one in this room that may be suffering strength to battle on, dear Lord. To keep seeking you. To look to the future to look to the hope that we have in you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray that if there is one in this room that has never accepted that hope, that they would do so today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.